Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville on the I Love Seville Network, a show, the Jerry and Jerry Show, today presented by Stable Craft Brewing. One of the best brewing outfits in the Commonwealth, guys, is in Waynesboro, locally owned and operated brewery, Stable Craft Brewery. I cannot wait to highlight all the fantastic events and all the offerings this brewery has to offer you, the craft beer aficionado. Judah Wickhauer is our director and producer. We give him some props. I would love to highlight and welcome the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, our star of the show, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Let's get him on camera. Hootie, Stablecraft is part of the team, my friend. You know, I, I had not really heard much about those guys until they jumped on board and looking through their material yesterday that they sent us to, uh, with Mark Lickman. Uh, he and Mark and I go way back. Um, incredible marketing man, for sure. It's been everywhere, all over the, the country and outside the country. <clears throat> but uh, the like you said, the offerings that Stablecraft has has blew me away. I had no idea that not only do they have all kinds of great uh, drinks, uh, ale and uh, I guess cider and, and soda. Uh, I think I even said saw wine in there, but uh, gourmet meals. Uh, you can stay there. They have accommodations, uh, luxurious. It looked like to me, just a complete package. I mean, gosh, if you're looking for a a staycation or if you're outside the area and coming into Charlottesville for a weekend, it seems like to me that'd be a place I'd want to check out. Very well said, Hoodie Ratcliffe. Stable Craft Brewery, guys, a Virginia farm brewery specializing in craft beers and ciders with a farm-fresh menu in an agri-pub-style brewery restaurant. Welcome to the family, guys. Judah Wickhauer will go to our first headline. Hoodie, 42 unanswered points. The Wahoos jump out to a 14-0 lead. Um, as you said in our uh, pre-production meeting, you know, this is a ball game going into the fourth quarter. Why don't we start perhaps with a little bit of positive here. We saw uh, more moxie um, and chutzpah from the first-year signal caller, Anthony Calandria. A nationally televised ball game on ESPNU, um, a game that was tight until the final period. But let's cut to the chase. Still 42 unanswered points. Where do you want to begin, my friend? Yeah, I'll begin with the incredibly... Uh awful traffic in D.C., <laughs> which I was, I've known about for years because I covered the Redskins for 16 years. But <clears throat> uh, my son and I drove up to the game. It took us four hours to get from Charlottesville to College Park because of the traffic on 66 and the Beltway. I was late to the game. By the time I entered the stadium, Virginia had taken a seven to nothing lead. I, I was able to see it on their massive uh, jumbotron. Jumbotron that they had from while well, I was waiting to get my credentials, and I was uh, somewhat stunned that Virginia jumped to an early lead. And once I got into the press box and watched them drive right down the field and take a fourteen to nothing lead, I was even more stunned because uh, Maryland, as we know, was a fourteen and a half point favorite. So. For Virginia to jump on them that early um, was somewhat surprising, for sure. And uh, I'll give a lot of credit to Calandria, Anthony Calandria, for that. He 
uh, was making some really nice passes. Uh, they used a little trickeration there to catch the Terps off off uh, off track, and um, they were able to make a game of it for quite a long time until the true freshman really showed up and uh, tried to force some issues and made some freshman mistakes. But <clears throat> the fact that Jerry, that they've been in in the game for the last two weeks in the fourth, going into the fourth quarter, I, I would think gives you some promise, some hope that maybe at some point they might be able to finish one of these games off. Uh, we don't know if it's a lack of depth, a lack of experience, not knowing how to win, lack of execution, or a combination, I think, probably of all, all, all of that above, that's preventing them from finishing the job. But the, instead, they've been imploding in the fourth quarter, and um, I think they've been outscored something like 57 to 3 or something in the in the fourth quarter of the last two weeks. So 21 nothing against Maryland. Yeah, and uh 14 to nothing. Well, I guess it's 42, maybe 42 to 3, but um yeah, Jamie was 14 to nothing, I believe in the fourth quarter. So, well, I know it was. So, um they they've got some they got to figure out some way to to try to finish these games. Uh, Calandria, um, let's let's cut to the chase. The kid's got moxie. The kid um, understands the concept of spreading the football around the field. You had one, two, three, four, five, six different pass catchers for the Wahoos against the Terrapins. I got the box score here in front of me. You know, when, when you're the quarterback, you're going to get the good, you're going to get the bad. Turnovers. Turnovers impacted this ball game, and he'll be the first to admit this. Um, it starts with him protecting the football under center, Hootie. Yeah, it's part of the maturation of a young quarterback. He's going to make mistakes. Um, he's going to force some issues, and there, I'm sure he'd like to have some of those passes back. I think a lot of it is the kid's just trying too hard. He's trying to put the team on his back and make something happen and sometimes doesn't use the best judgment. On the When they were about to tie the game, they were down in the red zone, and – he threw to the end zone, and it, you know, had they completed the pass, they would have tied the game at 21 all, which would have been somewhat unbelievable. Instead, he made a bad choice. He probably should have thrown, thrown the ball out of bounds, or just kept the ball and settled for a field goal. Instead, he tried to force a pass into a tight window and got intercepted in the end zone. Terrapins drove 80 yards and scored swung the momentum completely. His next two passes in a row were also interceptions, and Maryland scored on uh, – one of them was deep in Virginia's territory, I think around the 30. The other one was around midfield. So uh, he gave Maryland short fields both times. They capitalized, reeled, uh, reeled off 21 straight points, 42 unanswered points from the first quarter on. Uh, and that was that was it. That was a game set match. But um, you know the the kid played his butt off. I mean, he really did. Uh, the Maryland coach uh, Mike Loxley, who's coached some pretty good quarterbacks, 
Uh, He's got a great quarterback. Yeah, yeah, and he compared him to a young Tagliola, uh, and you know talked about. He said this kid is dangerous because he can extend plays with his legs. Um, he's not afraid. He's got a good arm. He throws it deep, and um, it, it was driving it was driving Loxley a little crazy. He said he was uh, a little loud over his headset with his defensive coordinator at times because uh, Calandria was so effective throwing the football. Guys, um, you can uh, ask Cootie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, some questions. You can share some comments. Put them in the social media channels you're watching the show upon. We're literally live on all social media literally right now. Twitter, jump in the mix, especially Hootie Ratcliffe's followers. Offer some questions. Offer some perspective. Johnny Ornalis, the owner of Guadalajara, and and El Mariachi sharing the show. We love you, Johnny Ornalis. We really very much appreciate your support. Um, Brennan Armstrong, Robert and I, the NC State Wolfpack trot into Charlottesville. Yesterday, and I'll look at the updated line here in a matter of moments, Hootie, but uh, as of yesterday, the Wolfpack were a nine-and-a-half point favorite. The over-under was 45 and change. We'll get to this contest. Before we do, I want you to highlight three pros and three points of concern for this Maryland-Virginia outing, what we learned from this contest. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, you know, one of them was Calandria that, you know, we just discussed. Um, uh, Even though he's played well and he's ranked number 66 in the nation in passing yards, not bad for a true freshman with no experience, not highly recruited. But um, he may be on the bench come Friday night against NC State because Tony Musket, uh, who we thought would start last week, Still had some soreness in his shoulder, couldn't play, or could have played in an emergency situation again, but they felt it was a smart decision not to push the issue, make sure he's totally healthy before he returns. So, again, if he's healthy, he will probably almost certainly start against NC State. Does that shock you? Uh, it, do, it doesn't because of the what we discussed last week and that Elliot and Kitchens both believe that you don't lose your job because of an injury, starting job. However, if you look around the country, uh, even Nick Saban last week switched quarterbacks three times during the Alabama game uh, against South Florida because he wasn't satisfied with how any of them were playing. And... Um, so I, I expect that perhaps if Musket starts slow or can't move the team, that we'll see Calandria at some point. If not early, then at some point. And he may uh, he may try to play both of them anyway. We don't know that. We'll maybe find out a little bit more this afternoon at press conference. At Elliot's press conference. But um, that that was one. Uh, step forward, I think. Another was the offensive line, the fact that they switched two players. They moved uh, Ty Furnish, the starting center, to right guard and moved uh, uh, Brian Stevens, the right guard, to center. Seemed to uh, work out fairly well. 
they had been having a lot of problems the first two games in low snaps back to Calandria and to Musket uh, from center, from Furnish, and they didn't have any of those against Maryland, if I recall. So that, uh, that they called that a win, uh, that they were not putting the quarterback under even further duress than what he would be. Uh, Calandria was sacked four times again, so that they've given up 12 sacks in three games, which is uh, not very good. Uh, but that, that might be one step forward. Uh, they're still waiting on Jimmy Crist to get healthy, the transfer from Penn State, uh, who would probably be moving in there at right tackle, which would give them a little bit more depth on the offensive line. But uh, any improvement upon, upon the offensive line is, is a positive step for this football team. I guess another is that they were uh, – they're playing a lot of freshmen, trying to develop some depth. I think they played nine freshmen against Maryland. And it's, it's not something totally unusual to do. I, I know Bronco did that a few times, played that many freshmen, if not more. Um, so they're trying to develop some depth to where maybe that when teams are rolling in fresh bodies against them in the fourth quarter, that they'll be a little more fresh, particularly on the defensive side of the football. I, th- I think that's where... Uh, at least five of those guys, or six of those guys played were on defense, including Cam Robinson, the sensational freshman out of Essex. Um, it was four-star pick Virginia over Florida State. So um, that's an, another positive, I think. So a few positives coming out of that game in the fact, and the fact that they were just able to hang on and, and take the game into the fourth quarter. Uh, that's something a lot of people really didn't think was going to happen. Uh, a couple of negative I mean, aspects. Was, we go special teams. I mean, we talked about this in pre-production. Special teams, maybe not so special so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, one of the worst things they could have done was after they took that 14 to nothing lead and had the momentum going their way, they did let it slip away. They, they kicked the ball off a little short of the goal line, which I'm sure that something Elliott wanted the ball into the end zone so there wouldn't be a return. Um, the Maryland kid took it 98 yards to the house and it made it, it was 14 to seven, just like that. You, you can't do things like that. There's no excuse to give up a 98 yard kickoff return. Uh, you, you, that's an incredible boost to the other team, especially after you just scored and, and took somewhat control of the game. Uh, Virginia is number 127 in the country in kickoff return defense and number 128 in the country in punt return defense, having given up a touchdown to JMU on a punt return last week, another momentum swing. So uh, that's something that they've got to nail down. You you just can't do that. You, You just can't win games giving up stuff like that, especially when you've got other things going wrong, giving up sacks, tackles for loss, giving up big plays on defense. And that moves that slides us into the other negative is that the defense is currently ranked 120 in the country in total defense, giving up 450 yards plus a game. What happened to this defense, Hootie? Going into the season, we thought the defense was going to be a strength. Everyone. 
thought the defense was going to be a strength. Yeah. I, I, a boatload of starters returning. Yeah, eight, eight starters returning just from the Virginia team, plus uh, Malcolm Green and Sam Westfall from Clemson and SMU, the two corners who started some in those programs. So there's a lot of starting experience on that defense, and it, it's hard to explain. I mean, I know some of it goes back to the offense putting them in some precarious situations in field position, but still, uh, last year a lot of that happened, and they bent and didn't break. They only allowed 24 points per game last year. This year, they're um, and and the fact that they're not getting any turnovers either. They're number one twenty-three in the countries in turn in uh, takeaways. So they haven't had a single interception in three games and only have one fumble recovery. So that's one thing. They're not putting any pressure on the opposing quarterbacks either, which is something that I know that Chris Slade made a point of emphasis in training camp. He, he expected his guys, just the outside linebackers, defensive ends, to rack up 25 to 30 sacks this year. Uh, so far, that's just not happening. They're not getting to the other team's quarterbacks, and that's taking a toll because other, the uh, other quarterback is having a lot of time to pick them apart. Having a field day, and we saw that. We saw that um, with Maryland. The Terrapin Gunslinger, 19 of 30, 342 through the air, a touchdown and a very concerning 11.4 um, average per completion. We have Brennan Armstrong, we have NC State, national television, uh, Friday evening, Scott Stadium. This is going to be a big football game for the Wolfpack. NC State, we're still trying to figure out what kind of uh, talent is on this roster. Yes, they're 2-1 and one on the season. We can make a legitimate argument. They, I mean, you got to win against UConn. you got to win against VMI. And then Notre Dame, 45-24 loss for this Wolfpack football team. We'll ask Cootie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, who is NC State, what they stand for, and what we can expect on Friday night. But if you could, dot the I's and cross the T's for the fan base with Northern Virginia, Waynesboro, Harrisonburg, Lynchburg, McLean, Danville, Richmond, Williamsburg, Hampton Roads, Athens, Georgia, the Outer Banks, some folks outside Nashville, and Allentown, Pennsylvania, right now all over our viewership heat map. Well, thank you guys for viewing in, for one thing. We appreciate your support and uh, and, and your viewership. But, uh, yeah, NC State, they're a team that I, I felt like would be Somewhere around the middle of the pack this year, no pun intended, but uh, they, uh, you know, Armstrong is, he's still kind of a mystery in, in some aspects. A lot of, he had that great year here uh, three years ago, didn't do anything last year. Uh, he's not exactly off to a flying start this year. He no, had three interceptions against Notre Dame. He only has about 25 more passing yards in uh, three games than Calandria does in two games uh, in terms of national ranking in passing yards. So he struggled a bit. Um, there's been some talk about him maybe losing his starting job. I don't know. Uh, I haven't got an update. We'll, we'll actually be 
on a Zoom with Armstrong later this afternoon, so we'll get some opinions from him on coming back to Charlottesville and playing against a, a lot of guys I'm sure he's still close to. Uh, some of the Virginia players were asked, um, I guess after the Maryland game, if they still are in contact with Armstrong, and they said, you know, that they might have mentioned, sent a message to him back before the season started, but I don't think there's any regular chat chatter between him and, and most of the Virginia players. But a now, lot what do you of, think that relationship is like? Virginia, yeah, I mean, transferring, transferring is part of college football now. Right. But transferring to an in-conference team, a team that is on the schedule, I mean, I would imagine there's a smidge of bitterness right there, a smidge of resentment there. I would think so. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, he goes from one of your closest teammates to a rival who's trying to beat you and vice versa. So uh, some of these guys maybe feel a little betrayed in that aspect. Uh, It was interesting that he ended up at NC State. I I know that for two years in a row he – tested the NFL waters. He did not get really great feedback, and it was clear that he was not going to be drafted. He would have had to have gone as an undrafted free agent, and for a quarterback, that's that's not a healthy way to try to begin a professional career. But, um, you know, he looked around at some schools in different conferences, and, and nobody signed him. Um he ended up at NC State, back with his old offensive coordinator, Robert and I. And uh, he's not having the kind of year at State right now that he had here when they were last together in 2021, I guess it was, um, when he led the nation in passing for most of the season. And a lot of people felt like that was a product of the system that, and that one that once he had to switch systems to Tony Elliott's schemes last year, it, he just it didn't. He struggled work. with the transition. He struggled mightily, and I mean there were times last year when even Virginia fans were scratching their head, wondering what was going on. He was missing wide, wide open, open receivers, receivers. Yeah. and then some of the passes weren't even close. So. Um, again, he's he's a good kid, great kid. Um, it's just uh, it just didn't work out here last year, and uh, I think you could in the locker rooms after, or not the locker rooms, but in the interview rooms after the games, you could clearly sense his frustration uh, when you asked him about what was going on, and I think that frustration grew week. After a week, some people blame him. Some people blame the system. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he he, uh, he just he's not having the kind of year he had a couple of years ago. And and uh, unless something changes, it doesn't look like that's going to happen this year either. The line has moved, guys. It was nine and a half yesterday. The Wolfpack, a nine and a half point favorite yesterday around lunchtime. It's now down to nine points. The over-under has also moved 45 and a half on Monday around lunchtime. Now 46 and a half. This game on national television, 730 kickoff ESPN. The Wolfpack, two and one on the season, have yet to play a conference game. 
The Wahoos 0-3 on the season have yet to play a conference game, and many in the Wahoo fan base are asking, is this um, potential, potentially a bagel in the win column for Virginia football? I do want to highlight a fantastic event that's happening this Saturday, the 23rd, at Stablecraft Brewery at 6.30 p.m. It's their Fall Jams live music by Savvy, a college football watch party with Virginia Tech and Marshall on the, on the big screen. They encourage you guys to get your groove on at Stablecraft Brewery in Waynesboro, just a fantastic um, locally owned brewery in Waynesboro. You know, Hootie, I, I think Anai and I think Armstrong and I think this NC State football team have a lot to prove. Um, the pundits, especially at the national level, have looked at NC State's schedule, they've seen VMI, they've seen UConn, and they saw pretty much a shellacking against Notre Dame. They'll be one of the only um, games on the Friday docket, and they got the lights and attention of national television. I would not be surprised if NC State tries to run it up. I'm very curious to see what happens in the first half, the first quarter in particular, to see if either Musket or Calandria and this Virginia offense can keep the fireworks with what NC State is going to try to bring. Well, that's going to be a, a real test early on to see if Virginia can hang with them. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, is Get behind. fall behind in, in a game like this because you know NC State's going to come out firing. The Virginia fans are very familiar with this offense because Robert and I uses his quarterback not only to throw it, but to run it a lot. So you're going to see Armstrong on the run, some design runs, some scramble runs, uh, a lot. Uh, he's been doing that quite frequently so far in the first three games. I'm not sure that that's a great system in the long run against uh, really good teams. It might work against uh, lower-level teams or mediocre teams, but I think against really good teams, you're, it's a losing battle. Um, I, I don't particularly like that offense. Uh, I, th I found it interesting that Anai left here, went to Syracuse for a year, one season. They weren't all that great last year on offense. He ended up at NC State, who needed an offensive coordinator. And he completely changed their offense to his system. Uh, so it's no surprise that he brought in a guy like Armstrong who knows his system and has flourished uh, in it in the past. But I don't know if the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think NC State has enough overall talent to compete for the upper echelon no. in, in the conference this no. year. I, I, I saw them as a, Mid-tier team. A mid-tier team, a bowl team, but uh, not somebody that's going to threaten the really top teams in the league. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go through, develop through the season in, in that offense. I, I just don't think uh, against the really good teams that it's going to produce a lot of Victories. Bill McChesney watching the program, giving you some props. John Blair watching the program, giving you some props on LinkedIn. Twitter, jump in the mix with some comments. We help a lot of viewers over on Twitter. 
Uh, we'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Glickman, we love you, Glick. Mark Glickman watching the show right now. He says, what kind of crowd do you anticipate on Friday night? Are season ticket sales up or down from last year to this year? The, we, Hootie's the expert here. I'm just a guy with a microphone who watches human behavior very closely. It seems to me that the fan base is right on this, like, this crossroads yeah. of engagement. And, and that crossroads, especially these next couple football games, is going to determine a lot of attendance, and it's going to determine the Boo Birds, and it's going to determine a lot of folks and their feelings on the head coach. Your thoughts on, on Glick's question and this crossroads the fan base is upon? I, I believe... I believe that these season tickets were up a little bit going into the season. Um, and, of course, last home game was a special game with the tribute to the three tragically slain players. And, of course, JMU brought a lot of fans, uh, over 50,000 fans in Scott Stadium. It was a great atmosphere. Um, you know, hopefully a lot of those fans who were there and enjoyed uh, a really good football game and a really good atmosphere for college football. So maybe some of them will come back. Uh, some people will come back to see Armstrong. Uh, some will be back maybe to boo Armstrong. I don't know. But... Uh, I would hope the fan base appreciates it, what he's done. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he gave his heart and soul to this program for a long time and, uh, you know, made, made uh, that one year was special. I mean, even though they only finished 500, he gave uh, people a lot of thrilling moments with his arm and his ability to run the football. And uh, I'm sure that he'll try to do the same Friday night. But, First night game in Virginia, Virginia in a couple of years. Uh, I don't think they had any night games a year ago. So uh, sometimes that attracts more fans, particularly the student body. So uh, I, I would expect it might be a healthy crowd, and we'll see. I, I don't know that NC State will bring a lot of people, but uh, I'm guessing probably somewhere – in the 30s to, to low 40s in, in terms of a crowd. And uh, hopefully they won't all leave <laughs> like they did. Of course, I don't, I'm not anticipating a storm delay, but hopefully they'll stick around for the whole game this time, uh, if, especially if Virginia can take it into the fourth quarter again. And uh, I, I think they probably could, could do that um, if they're able to move the football. If, if Musket can put some points on the board and move the football. They might be able to play with NC State. If, if he can't, then certainly Calandria has shown that he can. Uh, I would hope that, that they're able to make a game of it and at least take it to the fourth quarter and give themselves a chance to win. The thing they can't do against this NC State offense is fall behind early. If you do uh, and you lose momentum and, and you make mistakes, uh, it could be uh, it could be over at halftime or, or not even into the fourth quarter. So they've got to be very careful and try to establish some kind of a running game like they did. Uh, it got a little bit better at Maryland last week, and um, we'll see. 
Uh, John Blair and Stanton's got a comment. We'll get to John Blair in a matter of moments. Maggie Gunnels, thank you for watching the program. James Watson, Tim Carson, Katie Pearl, Dr. Wolf, Dr. Downey, Bob Yarborough, Seth Batten, Dean Russell, Johnny Arnalis, Andre Xavier, Andy Zeman, Ray Cadell, Georgia Gilmer, Jeff Camrath, Jamie Turner, Michael Plecker, Matt Neese, thank you for watching the program. Four states on the show right now. Why don't we get first a comment from Harrisonburg, Virginia. Uh, this is a, you know, um, I'm inclined to agree with the commenter here who's watched on Facebook. Carter, I appreciate your comment. I believe this is the first one on the Jerry and Jerry show. The fact that Coach Elliott's even considering starting Musket over Calandria is a cause for concern. Um, this football team is not going to win many games this year. Let's roll with the youth, especially at a position like quarterback that is extremely important for success. And why don't we figure out if Calandria is our starter for next year? I'm inclined to agree with Carter here. Your thoughts on that? Well, I can see both sides of the story. Uh, Musket, uh, I don't know you could fairly judge him from the Tennessee game because he was facing against uh, facing a, a ferocious front seven that Virginia won't see anything like that the rest of the year. Uh, and he, the offensive line didn't protect him very well. He was running for his life most of the game. So we really didn't get a, a, a fair chance to see what he's truly like. We'll know more, a lot more this Friday night against NC State. I mean, he may, who knows, he may be better than Calandria. He may come in and wow us. I don't know. He may lay an egg. But I think it, we've got to give him a chance to show what he can do. And if he can't move the chains, if he can't put points on the board, then I think then the clear move is to go to, with Calandria for the rest of the season and play for the future. Uh, so I, I totally agree with that concept. But I think you do have to give Musket a chance to see what he's all about, to see. I mean, he, this guy may come in and throw for five touchdowns. We don't know that. Um, he may come in and, and completely implode. We don't know that either. But I think you have to see uh, what he can do. And if he can't do it, then, then clearly the, the move is to go with the freshman and play for the future. Uh, John Blair and Stanton's got this comment. This is a very specific one. We love JB on this program. He says, Hootie, he says, Jerry and Jerry, if it's fourth and goal at the seven with two seconds left on the clock and you're down by four, who do you want to be targeted? Uh, Malik Washington or Malachi Fields? Wow. Very specific question. Uh, that's a good question. And oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, go against either one of those guys because they both proved last week that they're, they can – deliver uh, but in that particular situation that he's talking about I would throw it to Fields because he's a big rangy guy who can get up and and take the ball away from shorter defensive backs you can throw the fade or, or something along along those lines so in that respect I would throw it to Fields but I wouldn't be totally opposed to throwing it to Washington either because he finds ways to get open and can make things happen there you go. Hootie Ratcliffe dropping dimes here. Um, NC State, multiple people asking for a prediction from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. I'm, I'm seeing on one, two, three, five commenters. This just came in from Keswick, Virginia. What's Ratcliffe's crystal ball in this game? 
Well, I, clearly NC State's favored by, like you said, nine points. Uh, unless Virginia can shore up its defense and eliminate a lot of the mistakes they've been making. I mean, that, Virginia is ranking Jerry in, in the hundreds in so many categories on offense and defense. It's hard to beat anybody putting up those kind of numbers week after week. They've got to make some key corrections. Uh, they're, they're, they're making too many uh, dumb decisions, uh, shooting themselves in the foot with dumb penalties, uh, special teams, gaffes, not forcing turnovers, uh, throwing, uh, throwing interceptions. Um, just too many mistakes. They, they have to clean up a lot of issues before I think they can win. I think this team is, is trying to learn how to win, but I don't think it knows how to win yet. And it, the only way to do that is to, to eliminate mistakes and to finally beat somebody, anybody, and to get some confidence. And until they do that, I, I don't see how you can pick them to win a football game. So I... So you got you got state. The state cover the points. Well, yeah, I, I would say probably so at this point. Me too. Unless, again, unless Virginia cleans up a lot of the issues that it has, yeah, I think NC State would should cover the nine points. I, if I were a betting man, that's I would I would bet that way. But um, NC State's going to come in here, one like you said, wanting to prove a point that they can win. Um, and I, I'm sure, has uh, some revenge in mind. Uh, Armstrong wants to show people that he still can play because he, he left here with a, a disappointing year behind him, uh, left behind. So uh, they've got points to prove. I'm sure they're going to try to score as many points as they possibly can. I think, like you said, I agree with you. If, if Robert and I can put up 45 on you, he will. Oh, because uh, he put up a hundred. I don't think he left here on very good terms, uh, and has probably some sour feelings toward UVA. Maybe not the community or some of his former players, but about the program in general. The so divorce, a bitter divorce. It was a bitter divorce. Uh, I know that uh, he was highly disappointed in Bronco's decision to step away. Uh, heard it was a very heated exchange at that meeting, mostly from him. Um, there are room, nasty rumors and from very good sources that he was so bitter about things that he was encouraging recruits not to come that had committed to here, uh, signed here, actually signed, and a lot of them didn't. A lot of them went elsewhere. Uh, some really good recruits who would be helping this football team right now and had encouraged some other guys to transfer out, which they did. And I think once uh, that uh, became evident to the administration, I think he was asked to leave. He was one of the guys that was supposed to be trying to protect Virginia's interests after Bronco's decision. Instead, he was... Uh, hurting the program. And so uh, bitter divorce, I think, is an accurate description of what happened.
Virginia football has, um, like I said, the Wolfpack 7.30 ESPN Friday night under the lights here at Scott Stadium, then Boston College on the 30th of September. The Hoos travel to Chestnut Hill, then William & Mary in Charlottesville. A lot of the prognosticators in the beginning of the season were pointing to Boston College and William & Mary, that two-game stretch, as the victories that may occur on the 2023 season for this Virginia football team. Boston College showed a boatload of moxie against Florida State. Um, And Virginia football is going to travel on the road. I'm going to ask you this question. I ask it for you every week. I think Vegas had the over-under. Was it three and a half? Mm -hmm. Three and a half victories for Virginia football this year. Neither you nor I thought Virginia football was going to cover the three and a half for total victories on the 2023 campaign. I think we're both now very much in that boat because I think we anticipated that potentially JMU was one of those victories. Do you see Boston College, Weeman Mary, NC State, this three-game stretch, a win, and this little jaunt? Yeah, well, before we go there, it just popped into my mind that, that question a little while ago about the Virginia fourth and gold down on the – John tour. Blair's question. Yeah, John Blair's question. <laughs> I do know one thing that you won't see called on fourth down. Uh, Offensive maybe line? The, <laughs> maybe the worst call in in my illustrious college football Is this career. an O-line throwing a pass against Virginia Tech at Scott Stadium? Yes. Uh, a tackle eligible play 16 yards from the line, of, from the end zone uh, by Robert and I. So I, I guarantee you, you won't see that play called. Uh, come Friday or any other time. But anyway, getting back to your original question, um, it's going to be tough, man. I'm telling you, uh, Boston College had a great chance to upset Florida State. And Florida State's good. And Yeah, Florida State's very good. In fact, uh, the ACC uh, regular season should probably be decided this Saturday at noon at Clemson when Florida State plays at Clemson. Um, Winner of that game is going to have the inside seat, I think, on on winning the regular season. And, uh, of course, the top two teams will, now that we don't have divisions, will play in the championship game. So it could be a rematch of those two teams. I don't know for sure. If Clemson loses, it may not be. That will be two losses for Clemson. But... um, uh, yeah, Boston College has traditionally played Florida State pretty well, particularly in Boston. And had it not been – I didn't get to see the game, but I, I, I think uh, had it not been for a, 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 a dumb penalty, uh, they might have pulled off the upset. Uh, and Florida State ran out the clock to win the game. But uh, it's going to be hard for Virginia to win at BC at – not, it hasn't been an easy place for Virginia to win in the past. Uh, BC has struggled. Uh, everyone was surprised that they were able to give Florida State a game like that. I don't know if Florida State took them lightly or what, but. Um, 31-29, Florida State blew almost a 21-point lead. They're the number three ranked team in the nation. Yeah. This game was played in Chestnut Hill, a 31-29 Florida State victory with Boston College banging out 13 fourth-quarter points. 
Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting because they lost their quarterback, starting quarterback. He transferred to Pitt, I believe it was. So they've got a new kid in there, quarterback. But um, it's going to be tough to win a game on the road up there. Uh, Virginia hasn't been a very good road team. They did win at Georgia Tech last year because, mostly because Georgia Tech's starting quarterback got knocked out of the game early. But um, it's going to be tough. I, I, I'd say the odds of them winning are not very good. Uh, they, they might play a, a close game, but it's going to be awfully tough to pull off a win up there. Boston College is just as desperate as Virginia is, and they f see that as a p potential win for them. Women Mary is also uh, that's not going to be easy. Uh, Mike London's team has, uh, I mean, they were in the national semis last year. Uh, and this got, is a big ball game for the they, tribe. They've got most of their players back from that team, and uh, there's a lot of former Virginia players on that staff. Mike London, you know, he'd like to come in here and win to show Virginia that they made a mistake by not keeping him around. Um, William Murray right now is 3-0 and on the season, yeah. unblemished. Uh, I mean, Virginia might actually be favored in that game, believe it or not. But uh, it's going to be awfully tough to, to win that game. It's, it's, uh, it's probably going to be a knockdown drag out would be my guess. So uh, it's going to be tough. And, and I think they play, what, Carolina in between? And uh, they're going to – they may get blown out at Carolina. Uh, Virginia never seems to play well down in Chapel Hill. Uh, every every once in a while, they they have pulled off a win. But Boston College, William and Mary, North Carolina, Miami, in that order. Yeah. North Carolina and Chapel Hill is exactly right. Saturday, October twenty first. We'll watch this team very closely. Hootie Ratcliffe. Yes, I mean it's a it's a major rebuilding project. And there's no question about it. The fact that. Last year when a lot of the guys transferred out and a lot of the, those really, some of the better recruits in that class did not show up, has taken a toll on the depth and the quality of the athlete in this program. There, <clears throat> there's just not a lot of, enough guys to compete and pull off a win. Uh, Virginia has had that problem even in the good years uh, in terms of having enough quality depth to uh, – a friend of mine used to be a defensive coordinator at another ACC school, and he, he flat out said, you know, Virginia's got some really good players. They, they've got guys that can play for anybody in the conference just about, but they don't have enough of them. And that's, that's even more exaggerated now considering what happened in the transition from Bronco to Elliott. And – even some of those guys left the program after last season. So some of your better players, uh, they're all over the all over the place. They're playing at Florida State, uh, Missouri, Iowa, um, all over uh, Nebraska. They're all over the place. So uh, there's just not enough quality players in here right now, and I think that's one of the reasons he's trying to play these freshmen to try to build some depth to where they can maybe have a chance in the fourth quarter against some of these teams. Uh, Hootie Ratcliffe dropping dimes, guys. We're going to talk um, the ACC um, and the week that was, but we want to give the Wahoos a little bit glimmer, a glimmer of hope for this fan base. 
And I think for that glimmer of hope, we need to go to, I hate to say this, the hardwood. Let's talk recruiting and a six foot nine power forward that is looking like a very bright spot for Tony Bennett's bunts on the, uh, on the basketball court. Who do the show is yours? Well, the Virginia fan base is extremely excited about Tony Bennett's basketball program, even though it didn't end well last year. And I think there were some reasons for that. They didn't have enough guys who were, I didn't think were shooters, good enough shooters, uh, consistent enough shooters. And that kind of is what led to their downfall late in the season. They had trouble putting the ball in the basket. Um, and there was a little dissension on the team. And that is no longer the case. They have uh, virtually a, a brand new basketball team. They have a couple leftovers from last year and some really good leftovers, I might add. But the fact that um, they are at, they're having some great recruiting success. They got Christian Bliss, who was one of their top recruits for the 2024 class, although he reclassified and is now a member of this team, which I thought was a really smart move on his part because, you know, he was ready to play college ball. What, what was another year in high school going to do for him? Six foot four, 200-pound freshman from Queens, New York. A really good point guard, tough kid. Uh, not cocky, but very confident. He says, I, I win. Wherever I go, I win. Which I love. Yes, you love that. And he's going to come in here in red shirt and learn the system and practice with these guys for a year. He'll be ready to go next year uh, when it's his time in the barrel. But um, the other day, uh, yesterday, actually, or Sunday, they got a commitment from uh, Jacob Kofi. 6'9", 225-pound power forward from Everett, Washington to uh, Seattle suburbs. Everybody on the, in the Pac-12 was frothing at the mouth to sign this kid. Uh, they call him Little Jabbar out there on the West Coast. I, that might not be fair to the kid because I'm talking about Jabbar. Uh, but I've, I've watched uh, some a lot of video on this kid. He's not only can he score inside, uh, he's a really good shot blocker. He can play stretch four. He can go out and, and hit the three or hit baseline jumpers. He's an extremely underrated passer. He's got great passing touch, and uh, he's a tough kid. He can rebound. Uh, he can mix it up in the middle. So they're getting a, a – face forward, uh, face the basket forward, who can uh, score on, on just about any level, really, which is unusual for a 6'9 guy. He, he seems to be, I've talked to some people who saw him in person on his visit here uh, a little over a week ago, and they said he, he looks a lot like Ryan Dunn and uh, DeAndre Hunter. So we're talking about a big kid who has uh, a lot of versatility, athletic skill, and can play both ends of the floor, uh, something that Tony Bennett would call a complete player. So uh, something to be very excited about. They beat out Southern Cal and Washington, his home state team, uh, along with Ohio State, to get this kid. 
Oregon, uh, UCLA, a lot of those other schools out west really wanted him. And uh, the fact that Tony Bennett was able to get him was was huge. I, I think uh, he's building some great rosters for the future with Bliss and now Kofi. The key to all this is Con Canoople, who visited here this past week and then visit, finished up his official visits at Duke over the weekend. They can get this kid, Jerry. I mean, you're talking about We're maybe, talking, what, top five recruiting class? Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, because if they get those two, they'll probably get another one or two. And I, I see Final Four in the future, if not more than one, if they can get Knupel in here because this guy is lights out. He can shoot the eyes out of it. He's got a complete game. He's a winner. And uh, he's going to help them attract even more talent. So um, the future looks so bright for Virginia basketball. It's unbelievable. And I know Tony Bennett is very excited about the team he has coming up this season, even though there's a lot of new players on the roster. This time around, he has shooters. He has a lot of guys that can fill it up. And uh, I think that's something that won't betray them going down the home stretch this coming season. They might not win the ACC regular season like they did last year, but I think they'll be a deeper tournament team and a better overall team this year than they were last year. Tony Bennett is um, a very persuasive guy, and he clearly knows how to connect with um, youngsters um, when it comes to persuading them to come to Charlottesville and to play for, uh, play for this Virginia men's basketball team. How do you characterize the recruiting moves he's made over the last handful of months? I mean, this looks like a class that can contend with any class that he's ever brought to Charlottesville, Virginia. And I'm talking a class that is synonymous with the, the guy in Jerome class. That 2016 class yeah. was incredible. Which was incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this could, uh, could number-wise, in terms of the, what these recruits are rated, all these guys are, are top 100 some of them are the top ten. Um, uh, the Kofi kid said that he considers it an honor to play for Tony Bennett. And one of the things that he pointed out in his decision to come here over those other programs was that he believes that Tony Bennett and his staff can develop him in his game so he can get to the next level. And that's what I keep hearing from a lot of these new players they're committing here is that they believe that they and they've seen it they've seen it for a fact uh, how tony bennett and his staff develops these guys they've got a lot of people in the nba or in uh, the cba on two-way contracts hoping to get to the nba so these guys can see before their very eyes how tony bennett and those and his staff jason wilford and and uh some of these other guys can help take their games to the next level. And Mike Curtis, who knows how to build an NBA body, uh, he was a strength and conditioning coach in the NBA before he got here. So uh, that, that's the one of the common themes I'm hearing now is family atmosphere, uh, the ability to play for Tony Bennett, the ability to develop their games to, the next level and uh, 
we're seeing a lot of Wahoos on that next level, and that's just going to continue, I think. It's fantastic. I mean, it's just snowballing for the positive here in Charlottesville. Tony Bennett, props to you. I mean, let's put the man's name on the court. I've been saying that for so long here. Uh, we need an Olympic sports roundup from you, Hootie Ratcliffe. We have a athletic department that legitimately is one of the best in the country, top to bottom. I know in the fall we get um, romanticized and or follow Virginia football very closely, but these fall sports have depth, they have talent, and they are posting wins. Oh, naturally. Well, college football is, is the, the sport in America. That, I mean, that, they draw most of the ratings. It's the most popular sport. They fill up stadiums all around the country every Saturday. And uh, so it's natural <laughs> to have legions and legions of fans for that sport. But uh, these other guys put in the work just like the football players do. And uh, we have to salute George Gilnovach. Soccer Jerry, coach. Uh, he won his 100th ACC game this past week uh, with a 3-1 to, to one win over NC State. 100 wins at one school, uh, 100 conference wins at, at, in the ACC has never been done before uh, at one school. One guy, uh, The Wake Forest guy did it at Wake and, and somewhere else, Pitt or, or somewhere, but never at one school. So... Uh, George Gelnovac, uh, hats off to him for being here this long and, and putting together just an incredible soccer program over the last 20 years. I mean, he stepped in for Bruce Arena and uh, has done a fabulous job ever since. They're 4-2-1 and one right now, and uh, they play Notre Dame, uh, number 10 Notre Dame, on the road on Friday. So... Uh, wish them the best of luck. Uh, Steve Swanson also been here forever on the women's side, women's program. They're ranked number 20 in the country, and they're undefeated. They're 5-0-3 with three ties. Um, they host number two North Carolina on Thursday at 7 o'clock. That's going to be a huge, huge women's soccer game. North Carolina is uh, considered the preeminent women's soccer program in the nation. Uh, Anson Dorrance, I think, is the guy that's been there for 47 years, won multiple national championships to rank number two in the country. Would be a huge opportunity for Steve's team to knock these guys off and uh, wish him well. Uh, the field hockey team is number six in the country. Uh, they've uh, dropped a couple of games in the past week to Boston College and to uh, Maryland, number five Maryland. So they're five and three. They're struggling a little bit right now. Uh, the volleyball team uh, is doing well. Uh, Got to give kudos to the men's golf team, which, who's playing right now as we speak. Yes, they are. In the Highlands Invitational up in Illinois. Uh, they're ranked number 16 in the country. They've got all their players back from last year's uh, team, which finished higher, I think, than any Virginia men's team ever has uh, sophomores Brian Lee and Ben James the two sensational sophomores they have are tearing it up in this tournament as I expect they will throughout the season uh, so keep your eyes on those guys um, Jerry Ratcliffe guys his namesake website jerryratcliffe.com 
Hootie, um, a lot for Wahoo fans to be um, thankful for, to rally around, to engage with. Soccer, golf, field hockey, basketball recruiting, a lot of um, success in this athletic department, undoubtedly. I know we follow this Virginia football team closely. Give us some closing thoughts on this um, NC State matchup Friday night under the lights, national TV. Well, it could, it could be a fun game to watch. Uh, if Virginia can play like they did uh, the first half against Maryland and the first three quarters like they did against JMU, they, they could make a game of it, make it exciting. Um, Curiosity-wise, I think people will be anxious, anxious to see if Musket can get the job done. If not, uh, I, th- I think we'll see Calandria. Um, it could be a barn burner. Who knows? Uh, if if the defense could force some turnovers and help the offense out a little bit and stay out of the hole, they could make this an interesting football game. Um, if they if they don't, if they keep making the same mistakes that they did the last couple of weeks, then it may not be that close. It may not go into the fourth quarter. But you know, if you're a Virginia fan, you gotta you gotta have hope that. Maybe they can take advantage of Armstrong, pick off a couple of his passes, uh, turn them into points, move the football, make it a game into the fourth quarter, maybe pull off an upset. Who knows? It could be a rowdy crowd on Friday night. Um, Let's hope so. We've, we've seen Scott Stadium come alive before. It would be nice to see that again. So uh, it, we could see a, a good football game. Not not promising that, but it's, there's a potential there for a really good football game. JerryRackliff.com, what do you have on the uh, the editorial pipeline coming up? Well, we'll be covering the heck out of game week as usual. Uh, we'll be at Tony Elliott's press conference today. Um, we'll also be talking with Brennan Armstrong today on Zoom. So we'll have all the updates on that. Uh, We'll be following the Khan Kanupal thing. His official visits are over now. Uh, he expects to make a decision soon, I think, on where he's going to go to school. If uh, That could be blockbuster news for Virginia fans if he chooses Virginia. A lot of people think he's going to come here. So uh, what an exciting time that would be if, if that happens. We'll be following some more basketball recruiting and, and everything else. And... Uh, have a couple of podcasts in the in the can as well. So uh, everything you want to know about Wahoos, tune in. We'll Jerry, be there. JerryRackliff.com, ladies and gentlemen, JerryRackliff.com. I'm on the website every single day. His namesake website, your source for Wahoo athletics, undoubtedly. Um, another show in the books, Hootie. We give props to Stablecraft Brewing for being a part of the show. Stablecraft Brewery, guys, is just a fantastic experience when it comes to craft beer, craft ciders. And, and you know, it's a family environment. I've been there my, myself personally many times with my wife um, and our boys. And nothing better than having a, a nice cold craft beer uh, with, the, with the better half and I while our, uh, while our oldest is running around. Our youngest is still 10 months old, so he's very much in the stroller. Stable Craft Brewery. I've got to make it out there soon. That's you do. Sure. You will love it. They have life-size Jenga out there. They have life-size um, beer pong out there with massive red solo cups. 
Um, and it's just a fantastic experience. We'll give some props to Judah Wickhauer, our director. And our producer. hero. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Judah Wickhauer. This show, guys, archived on uh, ilovesevil.com, archived on Hootie Ratcliffe's Twitter account, and anywhere you get your podcast or social media. The Jerry Jerry Show airs on Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m. on the I Love Seville Network. The I Love Seville Show, guys, is up in one hour and seven minutes, and it's going to be red hot. Thank you kindly for joining us. Enjoy your Tuesday, and take care. Thank you, sir. Well done to you as well.